0: Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. And so I, I really felt to share in and around this space today and, and to really pick up on what it says in Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 92, sorry, where the scripture speaks about flourishing. And there's something that it says here that about, that's if you're placed in the right environment, if you're wanting to grow and if you're wanting to experience fruitfulness and just the newness of all that God's wanting to do in your life, sometimes it's about being in the right environment for those things to happen, for growth to happen because God's always calling us into the more that he has for us. He's wanting us to come into the fullness of life and be fully alive in that which he's uh, done for us. So Psalm 92 verse 13, if we can put it on the screen, it says, those who are, and won't you say the next word with me, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. And so you see that if you're in the right environment, Uh, not only some good things happen, but some God-grace things take place in terms of growth. And uh, I've I've shared with you before that I enjoy reading my uh, Louis Lemaure novels, and uh, often in those books, you'll find a cowboy hightailing it through some landscape in the U.S., chased by a a raggedly bunch that's after him, or maybe some uh, rogue cowboys or whoever it might be. And uh, in some of these books, they've gone into the Mojave Desert, They've gone into this place that's called Death Valley. Can we put a picture up? This is a picture of Death Valley. It's really a place. It's said to be the hottest, driest place in America, and it's called Death Valley because nothing grows there. Uh, it doesn't rain, things died. And uh, this, is, this is one of the things in the Cowboy book that I've read, but in looking into Death Valley, it's quite interesting that a phenomena occurred in Death Valley where in the winter of 2004, there was seven inches of rainfall. Now, nothing happened immediately, but by the spring of 2005, this phenomena occurred. If we can put up the next slide. That's the same place, just a a few months later. And what these geologists and scientists and environmentalists realized is this. Death Valley wasn't dead. Death Valley was just dormant. And so beneath the surface of the ground, there's this potential of seed that can burst forth That if it's in the right environment, if there's rain and if there's uh, the right ingredients, something amazing can happen, growth can happen, flourishing can happen. And you can probably see where I'm going with this and what we're going to be sharing about today. But I'm just trusting as a house and for us as Harvest, even as we've received new people into this family, that we can create an environment that we can allow God's environment, His atmosphere to be at work in our midst that will challenge us and enable us and empower us just to grow and to be all that he's called us to be. And that's not a condemnation, and that's not a heavy sitting requirement on you, that's an invitation. God is saying, I want you to be fully alive because I've come to bring you the fullness of life. And one of the keys for us is to realize that we are invited into this journey with God. That not only do we, as we've spoken about in psychological terms, we can talk about a limited mindset or a growth mindset. It doesn't only just apply to the mind, But spiritually, we can grow in our capacity in terms of all that God has called us into and wants to add to us. And so to be on this journey and discover this is where I am, but this is where I'm invited to, and this is how I journey with God and take the next steps into the more, into the increase, into the the growth and the flourishing that God has for us. And so that's what I want to encourage us with today. Because here's the thing, in your life, you are not supposed to be dead and you are not supposed to be dormant. You are meant to be flourishing. And so that's what we're wanting to see. And Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, you will show me the path. I love that. I don't have to try to work it out, discover it on my own, rationalize it, strategize it, um, catalyze it, let's put rhyming words all together. I don't have to, to do any of that. I get to recognize God's involvement in the moment and that he is gonna show me the path of life. And here's the beauty, it goes on to say, and in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, if we see this wrong, we're gonna think he is gonna show us the path of life and then we've gotta wait till we get to a destination to actually experience his joy. But what we need to realize is he is the one who walks alongside and he journeys every step with us. He goes ahead, he is behind, he is hemming us in. And we can know this, that when he shows us the path, when he is bringing that revelation, that light, that confidence, that clarity of what we call to and where we're meant to be walking, we get to journey with him, and as we journey with him, his presence brings us fullness of joy. And not only does it bring you fullness of joy, it goes on to say this, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because you know what? As we're walking on paths, sometimes we can fear and sometimes we can be in trepidation, but as we walk with Him, His presence brings us fullness of joy and there's pleasure in knowing His right hand is available to me every step of the way, that He is there and I can take hold of Him. And the challenge for us, the challenge that I wanna bring to us as a community is that many people, if not us, many others that we know, are living in a place where they realize that there's potential out there, but they just don't know their path. The path that they've called to journey in God, to, to fullness and flourishing, that hasn't been made known to them. And so the question we live us is, Lord, what, what do you actually have for us? And what is that journey? What are the steps we, we, we're meant to be walking with you and stepping into? And if you do a study, there's a, a, a way that you can study God's Word from cover to cover and see over 16 times, at least it's mentioned, that there are these four concepts that God is always massaging of His heart towards us as His people. And uh, you can see it in various stories and various scriptures, and even though the wording might be different, the gist is the same of these four concepts. And so I want to jump into the New Testament, and we're going to read something that Apostle Paul said. This church plant who had a heart and a desire for for church to flourish, and when I say church, I'm not just meaning an entity. I'm meaning we are the church, gathered here today, you and I individually. We make up the church, and there's something in this apostolic prayer that Paul prays that he wants us to come into the fullness of what God has, and I love this when we see prayers in Scripture because we know Scripture is always telling us to pray, but we don't always see the prayers prayed out, and here's a prayer that's inspired by the Spirit. Uh, prayed by Paul, and it bears out in your day and my day, right here and right now. And, and really, it brings this reality of saying, where are we, and what are we called into? Where are we now, and what is the more? So let's read Ephesians 1:17 to 18. This is Paul. I keep asking, not once, not twice, wasn't a momentary thought, oh, I remember, I must pray for that person. No, this is what he says, I keep asking, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What he's saying is we live in a day and age where there's a a cloudiness and ambiguity, a vagueness um, where we we don't see clear and we're not really that focused. And he's saying, no, in the midst of that, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will come and, and cut through all of that and that you would receive him, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He reveals to us. That which is sometimes hidden in our own capacity. He comes in and He reveals it. And it says, I just, I'm praying that you could have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And here it is, one of the first concepts. So that, won't you say that with me? So that, so that you might know God. You might know God. And as I say that, no one's reacting and thinking that's a shocking statement and thinking that I'm being blasphemous by saying that. But in in Paul's day and age, that would have been a radical statement that would have affected the religious of the day. Because what Paul was saying is he was using the word know, know God, and it's the Greek word gnosko, and you've heard it said before here that that word actually means, it means an intimacy. It speaks about a personal relationship. It speaks about an ongoing knowing, an intimate, personal, ongoing knowing. That's what uh, the apostle Paul was saying. But it actually goes a little bit deeper because it also says this, it says it's not, it's a term that wasn't just to know of God, but it was a term to describe how a man would know his wife and they would have children. That's the intimacy that it's speaking about there, and it's not talking about, it's not a sexual term, it's an intimate term. It's saying there will be a knitting of hearts, there will be a oneness, and that just threw out every religious, traditional, ritualistic approach to what it meant to know of God. And saying, no, no, it's not happening with just the knowing of him. It's happening in a, a knowing him face-to-face, a connectedness of heart. And, and people in that day would have thought, we had no idea that we could have that. And that is the, the, the beautiful promise and encouragement that the apostle Paul is bringing here, that you would know him better, that you would know him, that you would even increase of your knowing of him. And secondly, second concept, that's the first concept. Second concept I want us to get is this. That's massaged over and over, as I've said, um, by God because of his desire for people. Here's the second concept. Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's saying, you know, my desires and my longing is that your, your eyes, and in the message it puts it this way, would be focused and clear. That you would be able to see clearly that there'll be no haze over what you're seeing. And you might be like me when I was a youngster and say, hang on a moment, Paul, my, my eyes are up here, they're not here. Hang on, what are, you, what are you going on about? Do you remember that song? I was a youngster, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I had no clue what that meant, but I sung it with gusto as a, as a, younger, as a younger chap in church. But what, it, what it's really saying is this. Paul is saying at a deeper level, we aren't all looking through these. At a deeper level, we're looking through this. And what he's saying is as we look and as we see, we are often looking at life, and you are possibly even looking at me here right now, through the lens of everything that's happened to you up to this point. That's what you're looking at, through these filters that are on your heart and sitting over your heart. Looking through the lens of your past, looking through the lens of your pain, looking through the lens of your problems, looking through the lens of your hurt, of your good days, of your bad days, of your past relationships, we we look through these lenses. And Paul says, firstly, my desire is that you would know God intimately, personally, passionately, that you would know him and live in relationship with him. And then my prayer is that you would know the second step, that you would go on the spiritual journey of getting your heart right, getting your heart healed, so that you can see clearly. That's what he's encouraging. Because all of us in this room, we might be looking at the exact same thing, but we're seeing it in a different way because of what's happened to us, as I've said up to this point. And what happens then is that view is starting to dictate your life. That view is starting to determine your steps. That view is starting to define you. And so we need to get real about this as the Apostle Paul is praying, so that, he says it again, or in this this version he says, in order that, saying once you've done the first two, you can move on to the third two, but you can't get to the second one without going through the first one. You can't get to the third without going through the, the second. And he says, you do that, you get your, your, your relationship with God right, you get your heart right so that, and it goes on to say this, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You see, part of the journey is this, God's created you on purpose, but God's created you for purpose. God's created you on purpose and for purpose. And our purpose, we're not gonna come into it if we don't stop by knowing God and getting healed up. We're not gonna actually get to engage and live out what that purpose is. You know why? Because it's virtually impossible to see the the plan that God has for you in the future while you're still looking through the lens of yesterday. It's virtually impossible to see what God has for you in the future while you're looking through the lens of yesterday. You might find yourself in the place where I just can't see my tomorrows, and it's because you're wearing the glasses that are covered and smudged in the dirt of what's gone on previously. And so you have to come and allow the Holy Spirit just to bring clarity to to that. Because you might be here, and you might be living with this question, I I just don't know what God's purpose and plan is for my life. And maybe it's because you've never journeyed, as I say, or or walked with God uh, through that second step. of of that second step of getting your heart clear and settling the pain of yesterday so you can see the promise of tomorrow. But there's a part of engaging with God and his presence and his nearness. And it goes on to say this, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. And I love that because it connects hope and calling. The two of those are connected. Hope and calling. Calling really speaks about purpose. And it's saying this, if you wanna find hope, It's not gonna happen circumstantially. You're not gonna find it just in your situations. It's not gonna be sustained through just happenings. If you wanna find hope, it's not gonna be circumstantial. You find it by knowing why you're on this planet. That's how you come alive in hope, by engaging with your purpose. So once you know that you are here on purpose, God never made a mistake. Once you know you are here on purpose for a purpose, and you start to step into that, you're going to find hope overflowing in your life. And you know, I was, I was with uh, someone just recently who was sharing with me this last week, and he was just saying, Hey, you know, George, I've been chattling and. Uh, chattling, that's an interesting word. There was a bit of chattling. It's when you chat and battle at the same time. We were chattling. And uh, in that space, he was saying, You know, I can just feel discouraged and a bit despondent and maybe even depressed and questioning the why of going forward. And so I, I said this to him, I said, well, what makes the difference? And his answer really ministered to me. He said, you know, when I look at those moments where I've, I haven't focused on myself, but I've, I've looked at how do I make someone else's life a bit brighter, a bit better, a bit more enjoyable um, in the day, that, that, that's when I feel fulfilled. And I just love that because there was a sense of hope that sprung up in the sense of calling to something. Hope that sprung up, out of purpose, as he started to engage with it. It's a powerful truth. But many of us are looking for hope in the wrong places. We're looking for hope and thinking if my family could only work better together, then there's hope. Or if the economy starts to resurface a bit, then there's hope. Or, Or if the politicians can get their act together, then there'll be hope. Or maybe if my career takes a turn, then there'll be hope. And we're looking for hope in the wrong places. And Apostle Paul here is bringing this encouragement and saying no. This hope that springs up, it's found when you know you're here, that you know you're created on purpose, for a purpose, that regardless of what's happening, that's what the Apostle Paul says, doesn't matter what's happening around you. He actually goes on to say, uh, I have my eyes fixed, not on the scene, not on the temporary, but on the unseen, the eternal. My eyes are fixed, my gaze is set, my forehead, my forehead is like flint towards the purposes of God. That's what he's saying. And it's out of that place that he is feeling hope springing up, and that's... that's this progression, this progression, this journey we're on towards flourishing, as I've mentioned. And it takes us moving from this place of knowing God to start to say, well, what is freedom? To start to say, well, what does purpose look like? And once we allow Him, to start to work inside of us. He works powerfully, and he is able to settle our yesterdays and deal with the pain of the past, the problems, the hurts that we've had, so that we can realize we're not supposed to spend the rest of our lives just praying for ourselves, and that our issues will get fixed. But we actually have a purpose to make a difference. You see, when you don't have hope and you're not sensing purpose, you'll, you can define this because you'll be spending all your time praying for you and your issues, Rather than realizing, now I carry something in God that's called to shift things in environments. And so there's, there's this challenge that the Apostle Paul is bringing to us. And he goes on to say this, so that you might know the riches of his glorious, and watch this language, that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So here's the thing, not only do you have hope, not only do you have a calling, but you have an inheritance. And here's the beauty, it's not only discovered in you and in you alone, it's discovered in people and togetherness, that God is doing something there's something beautiful even in our gathering. Psalms uh, 2 verse eight says this, he makes the nations your inheritance. Your inheritance is found in people, in others, in shared moments in shared experiences and seeing the kingdom come not only in your life but advancing into uh, households and businesses and school environments and, and in the togetherness of life. And and it unfolds when we are not only trying to uh, see how does this pertain to me, but it unfolds when we start to bring others into this journey of knowing God and flourishing in the joy of His presence. Now, there's an association of churches called ARC. I don't know if you've heard it. Association of Relating Churches. And they've, they're planting, uh, it's, it's a movement that's seeing significant amounts of churches planted around the globe. It's headed up by a man named Chris Hodges. And he said, oh, we want to do this investigation. Let's take the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church and for us as the church. And let's see how we can have that engage with the rawness of the real world. And so he realized, I'm not gonna put a little group together from Harvest Church and people who've maybe been here for 20 years, although I find great wisdom and insight and revelation from you. But this is what he's saying. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna get some people from a gym that are far from God and don't know him that haven't stepped in a church. And I'm gonna share the concept with them of what the scripture is saying and these four things that are on God's heart uh, that he wants for people. And let's just see what wording they use that we can communicate these truths. And so he, he went to a gym and he got together this group and he said, you know, he, he read the verse and he's saying, hey, these kind of the concepts we want to bring out for people and uh, how do we communicate them? And he was thinking of words like salvation and sanctification and redemption, deliverance. And he said, this group wanted nothing to do with any of that. But as they spent time brainstorming, in an hour and a half, they came up with four phrases to describe the, the four concepts of what God desires for us as his people. And these are the, the phrases they came up with. To know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and to make a difference. Everything that we've seen coming out that verse that we've just read. And, and they said to uh, the person who was conducting this, this study, they said to him, listen, no one's interested in building your church. That's what they, they said to this individual. But everyone's trying to figure out how to know God. Everyone's on that journey. They said, um, no one's interested in this word deliverance that you're banding about, we, we're not into that. But everyone, even people in this gym, have areas in their life where they're trying to find freedom. They said, listen, we, we, we don't know what your, uh, your mission statement is or vision statement is, but we do know this, that everyone here feels that there's gotta be some purpose, there's gotta be some meaning to life. And then they went on to say they realized that something of God and who He is, whether they believed or not, had put something into their lives that we all feel like we're called to make a difference. You know, we, we all feel our life is not meant to just stop at the limits of who we are, but it's meant to influence and impact others as well. And, and so that's what these people saw from that concept. And so I want to pick up those four verses, I mean, those four phrases that they said to describe those concepts. Because, you know, secular sociologists have said this when they've done a study. They said that it's been proven that the highest need that can get met in humanity is when you live your life in such a way that you make a difference. Let me say this again. They've done a study that's proven that the highest need that can get met in our humanity is as we live our life to make a difference in the lives of others means when I go to bed and I lay my head on the pillow at night, and I think "Ah, I was fully alive this day because I made a difference in the life of others. That's what it's really communicating. And they used to think that the highest need that we could have met in humanity and our lives was to win, was to be successful, was to to make a, a home and a life for mine and mine only. But they discovered it's not that, there's something bigger. And these sociologists, in a secular way, not using church language, they define this need to make a difference, this meeting of a need to make a difference, to be defined as this, transcendence. That's the word they use, transcendence. It means to live above and beyond myself. There's something higher and more that stretches beyond just the limit of me. And here's the thing, and here's my encouragement today, that we can't do that We can't discover our purpose if we haven't started in the place of settling our hearts and our yesterdays. And you can't settle your hearts and your yesterdays if you haven't started on the journey of knowing God. And so there's this this progression that we see that unfolds in discovering what God desires for us as a people, and I I wanna define it by putting up the first one. The first one is know God. To intimately, personally, passionately know God ongoingly in relationship. Now here's the thing, I am, um, how old am I? I am 40, I'm 45, am I 46? Can't be 46, must be 40, I'm 45. At least in my heart I'm 45, 46 July, it's coming soon. Um, But I've been in church, if I look back, probably nearly every single Sunday my entire life, 46, 45 years, nearly 46. I don't know how old I am. I'm gonna come back to that at a later point. Um, but, uh, you know, I even grew up in Methodist manses. I, I remember lying in the sleeping bags at the back of the church. And, and I mean, my, as they call it to use fancy terminology, my circadian rhythm was on point. Because as the service ended, I would know it's time for donuts and hot dogs. And I'd wake up. And I know that many of you are in the same place because you're thinking, as he says amen, I'm going to the Samusa line. And so we're well trained. But I, you know, I grew up in that and I had the privilege of, and, and it is a privilege, that I don't remember coming to a point at a later stage where it became real to me and saying, you know, Lord, I want a real relationship with you. I had that moment at three, and and that's the beauty of growing up in a household with believing parents who cultivate something and and invite us to step into relationship um, with the one they're in relationship with. And so that was a privilege. And and you know, here's the beauty. We get to start right here and right now. That's my story, but we've all got our own story. And God does radical things and beautiful things in your story as you invite him. And so I wanna encourage you to do that. But Billy Graham's grandson had a bit of a different journey than I had, and I've shared this before. I mean, his story was a bit of a, a prodigal a son type of story, where he had, he had found, I don't have a relationship, this is religious, uh, he, he didn't enjoy being at home, he headed out, his name was Julian, um, and, and he had this moment where he said, no, I left it because I grew tired of a man-centered, trendy show. And so he left the church. But somehow something drew him back and he came back and he said what he encountered when he came back was a God-centered, transcendent atmosphere. You see, something shifted, something was different. The right environment, growth can happen. And so as he stepped into that place, something changed in his life and he said what impacted him the most was not someone's preaching of the message, it was the people in the crowd and their love for Jesus and their worship of him drew him into that space. And so I wanna encourage you that when you worship, It matters to God, but it matters to others as well. And so that's why it was so wonderful to be in this space today. And thank you, Greg and Taryn, for coming and serving us so beautifully and wonderfully. But Matthew 7 says this on this thing of relationship. It says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, talking about knowing God, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not gonna be... uh, available for everyone. And here's the hard thing. Some of us have had that as a plan, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll tick off the attendance and I can call him Lord, Lord. And what Jesus says here is it doesn't matter if there's religion in your life. It doesn't matter if you can do the rituals of church. It doesn't matter if you can pray and prophesy and even do miracles. That doesn't bring you into the place of having heaven as home. He goes on to say, you, you won't get to experience heaven because I never knew you. And the word he uses there is that word gnosko again. He's saying, I might have had religion with you, but I never had relationship with you. I never had an intimate, personal, ongoing relationship with you that we are journeying together. And so it's not that I haven't opened heaven up, it's that you've chosen not to enjoy my relationship and make my home your home. And Jesus said, I'm not looking for religion, I'm looking for that thing of relationship. And so I wanna encourage you that there's something that's invited of us and for us and taking that first step of knowing God. And, and I know the majority of here would uh, here would have. And if you haven't, I wanna invite you to that place today. But the second step where more of us would find ourselves is on this point, we, we know God, but we are called to find freedom in Him. And what does that look like? It means we have to deal with the stuff that is holding us back from living fully a life and the life God intends for us. It means we actually have to deal with that. We can't just... Um, our time. We can't just sit back. We can't just be dormant. We actually have to want to engage. And and you might, even as I say that phrase, you might be thinking, George knows exactly what I've been up to. And uh, he knows my behaviors and how I've been behaving and my reactions recently. And he knows those things that have been habitual in my life. And You know, they're those areas that we all feel that uh, are are so exposed and so raw and we feel so vulnerable with them and we try and hide them. We try and keep them to ourselves and think, you know, God knows it and no one else and that's enough. But I want to bring you some good news, but I want to also bring you some challenging news. And the good news is this, that in God there's always a solution and in God there's always a remedy and in God there's always a way forward. But the challenge is this, is in God, sometimes he's not the one that's gonna do it. He's empowering you to do it. And so there's grace for you, but there's also responsibility, responding to his ability. And God sets forth this motion, this way, that we can experience freedom and find freedom. And we see it in James chapter five, when we speak about getting in the right environment for life to happen and to flourish. And it says this, therefore confess your sins, And you'd think to God, but it doesn't say that. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. And and it's this picture of, yes, we go to God for forgiveness, but we can go to each other for healing. Now, we know he's the great physician, but when you cut your body, how does your body heal? It's your body functioning together that heals your body. It's the blood flow and it's the connective tissue and it's the immune system functioning and it's the signaling of what needs to go where and how that happens. And it's the same way in the church as we the body of Christ. And you see, sometimes we hide things, but the truth is that which is hidden cannot be healed. And so we've got this opportunity where we don't have to carry the weight of it and the burden of it and the shame of it and, and, and hear the enemy's condemning voice that says, no one wants to be around you, and if they knew what you've been up to, they would just write you off. And it's a lie, because you see, we need the courage to know that in God and in the community of God, that there is grace, and there is mercy, and there is redemption, and there is um, just restoration. There are these these beautiful things that we discover, and that when we get to share them, others can say, you know, that's real. And here's some of the real struggles I'm facing, and we get to journey together because one puts to fight a thousand, and two. 10,000, and so here as part of this community, we don't only gather on a Sunday, but we can actually be part of groups and life groups, and I wanna encourage you to do that. Get in the right environment that you get to do life well, the life God intends, with the encouragement of others, and what you find there is you're gonna find prayer, and you're gonna find support, and you're gonna find accountability, but it's not the sort of accountability that says you are falling short and this is where you're failing. It's the sort of accountability that says, I wanna hold you accountable to your identity and destiny. This is who God says you are, and this is the, what He wants for you. Walk into the fullness of that. So I wanna encourage you that we, in finding freedom, often it's in finding community. And it's not going to a life group just because you need another, uh, another Bible lesson. I mean, you can uh, find that online. You don't need another Bible lesson. I mean, maybe you do, but what this is saying is you need a person, you need a community, you need brothers and sisters that you can stand shoulder to shoulder on so that you can advance in all that God has for you because you were never called to do this on your own. We get to do this as community. So we're gonna know God, we're gonna find freedom, and then this third one is the, the, the part that probably 80% of us find ourselves at, It's this part where we we need to discover purpose. You can put that up on the slide, thank you. The third step, discover purpose. There was a study done in the U.S. that said that 87% of the body of Christ does not know what part of the body they are. 87% of the body of Christ does not know what part of the body they are. Can you imagine if 87% of your body didn't know what part it was and how it should be functioning? I mean, it would be a mess in here today. And, and so this is why we find in the church there's often such dysfunction and disunity and uh, uncoordinatedness, uncoordinatedness uh, where we find that we're not moving in a, in a rhythm and a grace and a flow. And 1 Corinthians 12 says this, and we've looked at it, that we each have a specific place and part to play in the body of Christ and function that we are called to bring. You have a function you have a, a, a part to play. You have a, a, an importance to the body to be what it's called to be. And the problem is we tend to look for it all over. We look, at, uh, we look for it in how much money we have in our bank account and we look for it in what car is parked in the garage and we look for it in what toys we can afford. And we look for it in all these other things and those might be fine and those might be fun, but those aren't the greatest part of who you are and what you bring. And so the Apostle Paul says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I finish the race, the call, the task that God has for my life. He's saying all those other things that are momentary are fine, but he says I consider them as nothing unless I finish with this call, with this task achieved and accomplished that God has called for my life. And Romans 12 says we all have different Gifts, And you know what that word is? We've said it before. It's the word charis. It means we all have different grace gifts. It's where we get the word charismatic. And uh, sometimes that word charismatic can terrify us, but it's saying, no, the gift, the grace gift, the charis gift is something that you've been given, not just to be a good thing that you get to function with, but to be a grace thing that you get to improve someone else's life with. It's a gift that you get to live in that serves and serves others and is a blessing. It's saying this, you have something that God has designed for you to carry before time, that you have a grace gift, that as soon as you start to apply that thing, not only are you gonna feel fulfilled, but that you are actually gonna make a difference in the lives of others. That is what you have and that is who you are. That is what God's called for. You are in this world on purpose, for a purpose, and it's to, to be blessed and be a blessing. That's what God says, and so we need to start pursuing and running hotly after that which God has, rather than being caught up with chasing things in life that really have no matter or meaning. Let, let me give you a story. Craig Rochelle, who leads the Global Leadership Summit, he's got a book, book called It, probably the shortest book title you'll ever find, It. And what it's speaking about, it's how we as leaders and people can glorify God and how we can love other people effectively. That's what the book is really about. But in it, he tells the story about a greyhound race. Has anyone been to a greyhound race? One, so if I make things up, only Brian will know, that's fine. Um, but, but I haven't been to one of those. But you know, the, the question is, how do you get these greyhounds to run? You know, in a horse race, you've got a jockey and he, he makes it all happen. But when those little gates open, how do those dogs run? And the way that it happens is that there's a mechanical rabbit that goes along the inside rail and these greyhounds all tear off after it. And in this book, it's speaking about this one moment where in Florida there was a greyhound race and this little mechanical rabbit took off and it came around the bend. It was obviously moving at such pace with these greyhounds racing after it that this thing exploded. There was like sparks and wires flew everywhere, fur flew everywhere. Now don't freak out wasn't the greyhound fur, it was the fake rabbit fur. But fur shot everywhere and there was this scene. And, and here's the thing. It's what happened with the dogs that's so interesting. Because suddenly the dogs had nothing to chase. And so they reacted, these dogs, these greyhounds, in three different ways. Some of them just sat down and took a nap because that's that. <laughs> nothing to chase. Took a nap. Some of them turned to the crowd, the spectators, and started barking agitatedly that were surrounding him. Some of them actually ran through the railing because they just thought, this is my moment. I can cut left, right, backwards, forwards. I'm just gonna go for it. And and, you know, they kind of hurt themselves because they were confused and disorientated. I mean, and this paints such a vivid picture for us of humanity. Because if we're not chasing after, and if we're not pursuing the right thing, the God thing, you'll just find in your life, well, maybe I'm just gonna take a nap. Maybe you're finding yourself barking agitatedly at everyone surrounding you. Maybe you're finding that you're doing damage and you're hurting not only yourself, but you're hurting others. And this is what we find ourselves, and this is why it's critical for us that that we wanna live our lives filled with the hope of knowing that we're living in the purpose that God has placed us here for. And for not only us as individuals, but us as a community. And here's the invitation, as my friend said, he was saying, I just don't know what the point is of going forward, other than that time when I was living to make a difference in the life of others, number four, the greatest need in our humanity to be met, if we can put the fourth point in, is transcendence, living above and beyond ourselves, knowing that we are created on purpose, for a purpose, to do what? Won't you say the last one? Now, I don't want you to read it, I want you to say this to yourself. Won't you mention that one more time? I wanna say to you, make a difference. Make a difference. You see, so many of us are waiting for the difference. So many of us are waiting for someone else to initiate that. And I wanna say, you've been graced and you've been favored and you've been anointed and you've been called and you've been purposed for this reason harvest. You are created to make a difference. You are created to make a difference as you go out of these doors to the shopping center to your home to your to your relationships to your workplace to your place of study to your place of outreach and ministry you are created to make a difference a god sized grace favored anointed difference there 's something about you that you are you are pregnant with something there 's something that you 're carrying that 's going to be a blessing and a beautiful display of grace as this actual passage would go on to say, and we're not getting there, display of grace that others can recognize God's goodness in and through your life, everywhere you go, every person you meet, that you get to live your life in such a way that you're making a difference. That's what we we call to. And John 15 says this, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, the fruit making a difference. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You, you, there's fruit, you, you make a difference. You've seen as my disciples. And he's not saying this as a heavy. He's not saying this as a demand. He goes on to say, I've told you this so that you would be blessed. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. He's saying, as you start to do this, you don't have to try and find joy or happiness and other things. My joy, my God-size God ordained, God quality of joy will be in you, and my joy is your strength. It's going to infuse you. My joy may be in you. And what Jesus is saying is, you haven't even discovered what life is really like until you've discovered real joy that I have to give. When you lay, as I said earlier, you lay your head down and you're able to think, you know, today I really lived. That's how you live a day. And it's by knowing God living in freedom, finding freedom, discovering your purpose, and knowing, you know what, I'm I'm making a difference. And there's a way that you can do it here in this community. You can do it just by being part of a team, as we saw today, that smiles as people come in. That'll change someone's life. You can do it by being a barista who makes a wonderful cup of coffee. That'll save someone's life, change someone's life, make a difference in someone's life. Sorry, I'm expressing my own inner world here. You can do it by picking up an instrument. I love one church said it this way. They had two services like us and they said, attend one, serve one. I get to go to a service. I get to receive and be a part of it, but I get to serve at a service. I'm gonna pitch up and I'm gonna I'm going to bless those coming in. They're gonna be blessed in God's presence. I'm, I'm gonna be a part of that. And it's funny because I get to say these things to you today and, and the challenge is there's often emotions going on that Uh, that, uh, you know, how do I do this? How do I say these things? Because sometimes what we want to say can be quite confrontational uh, or provocational or quite in your face, you know. We want to say, yeah, but in a way that, yes, it's going to be good. That's what's happening. Let me describe it this way. Often I go a certain path on my way to get um, to my son's school or to get here to church. And, um, you know, I know the robots. I know that, listen, if, if there are four cars in front of me, when that light goes green, if we all move, then I'm gonna get through the green of the next light. But if I don't, I'm gonna hit a red. And, and Leanne knows this, and Leanne's the voice of wisdom and revelation assisted by the Holy Spirit in my life. And Leanne will say to me, because I can be like, I wanna get on that hooter, and I wanna to say to people, it's time to move. You know, <laughs> it's time to move. Uh, because you know, you can recognize what's gonna happen. You see three cars in front of you, and um, you know the one just in front of you uh, that could be an issue. And, you can kinda work out, listen, I think they're gonna be slow off the mark, or there's a learner side, and yeah, they might be slow off the mark, or you see them on the cellular, and you're just working things out, and so you're almost ready on the hooter, and Leanne will say to me, George, don't lay on the hooter, be patient, because you're on the way to church, and they're most likely going there as well. (laughs) So if you were driving the white Honda with the, no, I'm kidding. And so then you've got to kind of pull yourself back. And then you don't do the heavy-handed hooter, but you do the gentle little beep-beep <laughs> with a smile, very pastorally. But in your heart, you saying, what are you waiting for? Let's get going, you know? And so I'm just telling you what could be going on in my heart. I'm not saying any of this is happening right now. But I want to put my hand on the hooter, gently or more resolutely, however you're going to receive it. And I want to say, what are you waiting for? Really, you're going to wait another week to know God. What are you waiting for? Another week? Really, you're going to hang on to that pain and to that behavior and to that way of coping. You're going to hang on to it for another year so that it can be your New Year's resolution once again. Really, is that what you're going to do? Really, you're gonna live in a place where you're not gonna discover what your second best day of your life can be. And what I mean is people say the greatest day of your life is when you're born. The second greatest is when you discover why. And we know that happens in God. And really, you're you're gonna wait on that. You're gonna wait on living another day, just serving yourself, living yourself, caught up with yourself rather than making a difference. Really? I'll say, come on. Let's take a step, let's get going, let's start moving. Let there be some movement in who we are as a community because as Harvest, what we call to is we call to bring people to a place where they can know God, where they can find freedom, where they can discover purpose and where they can know. We call to be a community on mission, making a difference wherever we get to be because we're living in the intentionality and the purpose of knowing I'm here on purpose for a purpose and that is to bring others to the wonderful place of knowing who this forever King of Kings is, who's coronated, living, seated on the throne, never gonna shift, never gonna change, most glorious, magnificent moment ever in regality. And we have the privilege of knowing Him intimately and personally, living free in His presence, knowing the joy of what that is, the pleasure of His right hand, knowing that there's purpose in Him and we are making a difference, amen? You okay with the hand on the hooter? Let's pray, Father. I just thank you that we get to be your people, we get to be your community, we get to discover purpose in you and know we are on a mission with you. Lord, I pray that even as that term knowing God meant as a man would know as woman and they have children, I pray that there would be something in the int- intimate personal relationship you, with you that would cause us to be pregnant with the things of heaven, the things of God, of, with your grace and your goodness, that we would go out and see that starting to be birthed in whatever areas that you placed us. I pray, Lord, that we would live as those who um. who who have a living hope, a real hope, that get to lay their head down at the end of the day, this day I know that day, this day I've lived fully alive because God's joy was in me because I was able to be a part of that which He's doing. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be in a desert season or dormant season. I pray that we wouldn't be taking naps, we wouldn't be barking, and we wouldn't be causing hurt to others. But I pray that we would be a community that carries the touch, the breath, the environment of heaven that others get to flourish in as we are becoming fully alive. And I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, full of expectancy, and together we say amen, so be it. Come on, so be it. Come on, let it be. We get to do this. We get to be this, born out of the apostolic prayer of Paul as he discovered God's heartbeat. Man, I'm revved up. Go and smile at some people and make great cups of coffee.